we've been in, I think, maybe by God's providence, an incredible series going through Psalm 23. And, it's, and this is our last installment of, uh, of this great series. Uh, it's called The Struggle is Real. And it's just been teachings through Psalm 23. And today, again, is, is our last chance to, to go through this as we look at verse 6. But I've loved going through this amazing psalm with you because it's so simple that a child can memorize it and understand it. And yet it is so rich and deep that you can dive into it for a lifetime and never hit bottom. It's just an amazing, amazing psalm. Now, if you've missed any of the last five weeks, then let me challenge you to go to our website and just to listen to the ones that you've missed because I believe it'll help catch you up and to keep that perspective going of what we've been talking about. And so as we begin, let me give you just a quick overview of what we've looked at for the last five weeks. Week one, we unpacked the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I want you to understand that's the key phrase in this whole, in this whole passage. So don't lose sight of that because we'll be talking about this at the end. So we looked at the Lord as my shepherd. The big takeaway for me was simply this. The Lord can't be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. I don't want you ever to forget that. The Lord can't be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. Week two, we unpack the next part, which just says, I have everything I need. And the big takeaway for me that week was we need to stop gazing on what we think we want or we think we need. And we need to start grazing on what God has already provided for us. Week three was spent on the phrase, he lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me to calm water. He gives me new strength. And for me that week, it was this. There are times when our shepherd Jesus has to make us lie down in order for our souls to be restored back to him. There are times when we just need that soul restoration. Week four was spent on the last part of verse three. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. The big takeaway there was simply this, very simple. We have to stay close to the shepherd. We have to stay close. He has to be right there. We have to be right there with him. We have to stay close to our shepherd. Last week, we unpacked verses 4 and 5. Even if I walk through a very dark valley, I will not be afraid because you are with me. Your, rod and your shepherd's staff comfort me. You prepare a meal for me in front of my enemies. You pour oil of blessing on my head. You fill my cup to overflowing. And the big takeaway last week was this. Our shepherd, and never forget this, our shepherd is in the valley with us. When you go through those times of those valley situations, you are not alone. Even though you think you are or you feel like it, you are not alone because your shepherd is going through the valley with you. He is right there, going through everything, protecting you, providing for you, giving you everything you need in order to survive the valleys of life. Now that brings us to this last part of the verse, or this last verse, and it's simply this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as we begin, I think it's important to understand that this verse is talking about the future. In other words, all the days of my life, the rest of my life, from this point until I take my last breath on this planet, and then I'm taken to be with my Father in heaven. All this point on, this is what this verse is talking about. The future. 
And so let's talk about the future for a moment because this is the reality of the future. This is where a lot of our worry and stress lives, isn't it? A lot of our worry and stress lives in the future. And the reality is we're not omnipotent. We, in other words, we don't know everything. We can't see everything. We don't know everything. We will never be able to look in a crystal ball and see our future. And for a lot of us, that's a big cause of worry. Because you don't know what's happening. And so you worry about it. You see, nobody here on this planet knows the future. And not only do we not know the future, but we cannot control the future. So stop trying. Because we can't do it. I love this newspaper, 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 no, 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 newspaper ad that I read. Uh, this, is, this is what the ad said. There will be no meeting of the local psychics and clairvoyance group due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> that ought to tell them something, probably. You see, and that's the problem. And it's the unforeseen circumstances that, that concern us the most, such as what's going to happen to this relationship that I'm in right now? Or will, where will this job take me? Or will my grades be good enough to get me into college? Will the Nats get past the first round of the playoffs? Will I be happily married in 10, 20, 50 years? Will I have enough money to put my kids through college? Will my parents' health stay strong? Will I, will I, will I? You see, these are some of the questions that get us really lathered up and cause us to worry and stress and fret about the future. You see, the problem is we look around us and sometimes we think, I don't think the world can get any worse. I mean, I don't think the world can be any crazier than it is right now or any worse than it is. I mean, all you got to do is pick up the newspaper if you have one or get on your, your iPhone or your, your smartphone or get on your computer and you begin to read the headlines and you're going, whoa, whoa, I just stop. I need a break from this. Because life is crazy and just seems to be getting worse. L listen to how one, some social commentators described the state of affairs. This is what they said. The nation is worn out. Our government and protection have broken down. Thieves make every street unsafe at night. Trade has diminished. People have lost their mor moral stability. Our citizens are being destroyed by taxes and inflation. We have multiplying divorces and loss of life's values. Now, we hear those words and we think, man, that's a pretty depressing picture, isn't it? I mean, it's no wonder we're worried about the future. But here's what you need to know about what I just read. This was a summary of various historians that were written about the time Jesus was born. They were talking about ancient Rome, even though it sounds like today. And this is the world into which Jesus came. A world where people worried and stressed about life and what the future was going to hold for them. And that's why the words of Jesus are so applicable for us today. Because he lived it. And it's not much different than it is today. In fact, look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Then, turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. Just don't worry about it. 
So so I tell you, don't worry. And then when we come down into verses 31 and 32, look what he says. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Stop worrying and just seek God's kingdom. And he will give you everything you need. So you don't have to worry. And then he says this. I love this. So don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock. He's still referring to us as sheep, kind of like Psalm 23 that we're in. We're sheep. He is the shepherd. And he says, don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives you, it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So then, how can we go through life and not be afraid of what the future holds? Well, Psalm 23, especially this verse, verse 6, is wanting us to understand that the future doesn't have to worry us. We don't have to fear what we don't know. Why? Because of the promise that we have here. And it's basically this. All the days of your life, man, in fact, for the rest of your life and for eternity, his goodness and his mercy Guess what? They're going to follow you. And you will get to the end of your life and you will dwell for an eternity in the house of the Lord. Wow. So let's unpack some of the words that are found in verse 6 of Psalm 23 because I believe that they can help us to be able to put things in perspective, to put life in perspective, to put the future in perspective. The first word I want to look at is simply that word goodness. Goodness. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Goodness. In the Bible, especially the Old Testament, goodness is a very robust and strong word that's full of meaning. I mean, goodness is kind of a shorthand way of referring to all of the benefits and the blessings of God's presence in our, in our lives. His, his care and his protection, his provisions, his guidance and his correction. I mean, that's the goodness of God. And let me tell you. God's goodness is huge, isn't it? I mean, it's huge. And so because of that, here's something that we must not miss, and it is this. Goodness means that with God as your shepherd, you get what you don't deserve. How awesome is that? With God as your shepherd, you get what you don't deserve. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve his mercy. We don't deserve his goodness. We don't deserve the things we, we, we get and we have because of our life, but yet he gives us to us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done. In fact, it sounds a lot like the word grace, doesn't it, in the New Testament, because it basically means the same thing. You see, you get stuff you don't even deserve, and it just keeps coming, and it follows you all the days of your life. Goodness is not only the blessings of the shepherd, but it's all of the favors and the blessings of being, get this, in his pasture. It's living a life lived with the shepherd. The Bible says all good gifts, all goodness comes from the Father of lights above. And so think about that for a moment. Every sunset and every sunrise is a gift from God. The oceans serve a loving embrace, a grandchild on a lap. This past week, as you know, our our son and daughter-in-law and grandkids have been with us uh, uh, from Nairobi and and Kenya. uh, Last week, because of the graciousness of 
Troy and Kendra uh, Riley, uh, they let Brandon and Julie use their lake house down southwest Virginia, and so Lucy and I had the grandkids. Let me tell you, it is something special when those grandkids climb up into your lap and just sit there and play with you. Or when you're holding a little eight-month-old and he's looking at you and he's teething and he's drooling down his face and then he sticks his, his hands in his mouth and then he takes them out and rubs them on your face. But there's something special about a gift of a grandchild, isn't there? Or how about a laughing with a friend or eating a fresh peach? These are gifts, good gifts from our God. They are all the goodness of God. All the countless ways that he provides and protects, guides and corrects. All of this that comes to us without our asking, without our knowing, without our deserving. It's all because of his goodness. And it flows from the shepherd to his sheep. That's the goodness of God. Now, please do not misunderstand me because I am not talking about material possessions here. I'm not talking about God's goodness is going to flow with you the rest of your life and you're going to win the lottery next week. That's not what we're talking about. It's so much more than that. It is so much deeper than that. It's all that, those characteristics of a good and loving God that he pours and he bestows on us. That's the goodness of God has nothing to do with what we have. But let's look at this word. And it's the second word I want us to look at, and it's the word mercy. Because mercy is another good, strong Hebrew word. In the Hebrew, it's the word chezd. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, but it's what it looks like to me. So that's what I'm calling it. It's chezd. It means steadfast love. It means the loving kindness of God. It means compassion, and it means mercy. And why is that so important to us? It's because we're sheep. I mean, we've learned that for the last six weeks. We are sheep. We get distracted. And we stray. I mean, look at Isaiah 53, verse 6 again, where it says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to what? To follow our own way. To follow our own path. The Bible makes it clear that all of us are like sheep and that we've gone astray and we've left God's path to follow that way we think is the best. You've done it, I've done it. But here's the thing. Instead of punishing us because of our sin, God decided to intervene on our behalf. And so he sent the Messiah his son, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. And that verse in Isaiah goes on to say this, yet the Lord laid on him, not you, not me, but on him, God's very own son, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. He laid on him the sins of us all. Here's something else that we must never miss. Mercy means that we don't get what we do deserve. We don't get what we do deserve because the reality is we deserve to be punished, don't we? Because of our sin. That's why the mercy of God is so amazing. Here's the thing. Goodness and grace means that with God in your life, you're getting what you don't deserve. 
Mercy means that with God in your life, you're not getting what you do deserve. Put another way, goodness and grace is the heart of God given to us because he's faithful. Mercy is the heart of God given to us because we're unfaithful. Now, here's what's sad. Sometimes the struggles of life take our focus off of his goodness and mercy. We can become so focused on the problems that we miss his blessings. And we forget about his goodness and mercy in our life. I love how Psalm 103 verse 2 puts it. Look at what it says. It says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget those good things that God does. Don't forget them. Keep reminding yourself of them. Tie a string around your finger. Put a post-it pad note on, on the refrigerator, on your car, car rearview mirror, or, or somewhere, but do whatever you have to do so that you do not forget all that the Lord is doing in and through you. All the good things. Maybe. That's why the psalmist goes on in, the, in this very starting in this very next verse through verse 13. And look what he says. And think about God's goodness. Think about God's mercy as you look at these verses. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who were treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Get this, slow to get angry. I don't know about you, but I'm glad of that. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth and then i love this he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west you know i think we forget about that sometimes and we've talked about that before but i was talking with somebody just just in the last couple days who Literally, this is where they're struggling because of their past life, because of what sin had done in their life. They know God's forgiven, but they just can't forgive themselves. They, they're, they're wanting to keep that, that sin right there and, under, understanding, and not understanding that God has taken that away as far as the east is from the west. Remember, you can only go, you can, if you go east, you'll go east the rest of your life. If you go west, you go west the rest of your life. If you go north, you only go north so far until you go south. If you go south, you only go so far until you go north. So that's how far he has taken us as far as the east is from the west. Because if you go that way, you'll always go that way. And they're separated by that much. He's taken our sin. Now here's the cool thing. David says that these things, these blessings are with us all the days of our life. 
So they're not just here for a week or two weeks or a month. They're not just here once we surrender and give our lives to Jesus. They are with us all the days of our life. And when you honestly understand that, hopefully it will change who you are. It will change who you are inside. But again, it's really easy to take our focus off of these amazing blessings, isn't it? In fact, you can have a thousand good things happen in your life. I mean, God can pour goodness. He can pour mercy. He can pour love into your life. But let me tell you, if one bad thing happens, guess what? You will choose to focus on that one thing, and that will become the lens that everything else is viewed through. Regardless of the thousand things that God has already done, because of that one bad thing, that becomes the lens you you view life through. I mean, why is it that we can have 50 gorgeous sunsets and sunrises in a row and a beautiful array of breathtaking star-filled nights, but if it rains on the afternoon of your beach trip or your golf outing, all of a sudden, man, life sucks. I mean, it's true, isn't it? You're right, it's true. That's how we are. I mean, we can drive 40,000 miles in safety, guarded by God's invisible protective hand, but if we get a flat tire on the way to work, man, it's like, well, that's just par for the course. And it'll affect the rest of your day. Here's something else that we need to remember. Stuff is going to happen. Stuff's going to happen, both good and bad, but who your shepherd is and the amount of trust you're displaying in him will determine your focus. Never forget that. Who your shepherd is and the amount of trust you are displaying in him will determine your focus. Now, You've probably seen the bumper sticker that says stuff happens. Actually, it says something else, but I can't use that word. (laughs) But wouldn't it be awesome to have a bumper sticker that simply said goodness and mercy happens? I mean, why can't we put that on our car, on our truck? Because goodness and mercy happens every day of your life, and it will follow you through life, is what he's saying here. So we have goodness and we have mercy. Let me look at that word, surely. Surely. It says, surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. So what's that word saying to us? Well, it's basically saying this, that you can be absolutely assured. You can be absolutely confident that his goodness and that his mercy is going to follow you, even if you can't see it. Even if you can't see it, you can be sure of it. You can be sure even when you're hurting Even when you're tired, even when you're looking for the path and you can't find it, even when the valley is very, very dark, surely even then the goodness and the mercy of God are still at work in your life. Surely, absolutely, you can have confidence in knowing if he said it, it's going to be there. And so the question is, do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that? And do you base your life and live your life based on that belief? Do you have the kind of assurance and confidence in your shepherd? Because like we said last week, man, this, is, this right here is where life and where faith gets very, very real, isn't it? 
I mean, it's easy to have faith and trust when everything is going great. When the family is fit, fun, and well-fed. When the finances are, are, are going great. When your relationships are great. In those times, it's easy to high-five the shepherd when his goodness and mercy are easy to see. But what happens when your body breaks down, when someone you love is lying there in pain, dying? What's your response when the job starts folding up from under you and when the bills that are in your hand don't match the dollars in your account? When your kids start failing or they just don't seem to care? What's your attitude towards your shepherd then? You see, your shepherd wants to know, do you believe my promises? And do you trust me with your life? When you can't see goodness and mercy in your life, do you trust the shepherd when he says, surely, absolutely, with all confidence, my goodness and my mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Do you believe that? And do you trust him with that? Now, I've talked with people who say, but isn't that just for the good sheep? And I don't feel like I'm a very good one. I'm probably not the faithful kind of sheep that this verse is, is really talking about. Listen, this verse isn't talking about being good enough so that God might choose to bless you with his goodness and mercy. Don't miss this. I believe that he's not talking about the fact that you're not good enough, but he's talking about the fact that he is good enough. You see, it's not about how faithful you are, but it's how faithful our shepherd is in our life. That's why there's no set of circumstance, no trouble, no tragedy, no problem, or no future struggle where God will not follow you through all the days of your life with his goodness and mercy. Which brings me to this last word, and that is this, the word follow. The word follow. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Now, I'm not talking about some old guy in white Velcro shoes who's following his wife around the mall. You know, he's just kind of lallygagging behind and just kind of walking along behind. That's not the kind of following that I'm talking about here. It's not that. The Hebrew word for follow, again, is radoff. Could be, maybe something different, but that's what it looks like. And it's a strong word that actually means pursue. It means to chase. It means to run after. Look how this exact word is used elsewhere in the Bible. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 8, it's used where the chariots of Pharaoh, Pharaoh are pursuing the children of Israel as they cross the Red Sea. Do you think they were just kind of lallygagging around? Just kind of, okay, um, we're going to catch up with them one day. I'm just going to go behind. No, they were pursuing. They were chasing after. In Psalm 18, David declares, I pursued my enemies and I overtook them. In Lamentations chapter 4, verse 19, Jeremiah cries out, Our pursuers were swifter than vultures in the heavens and they chased us on the mountains until they got us. Can you get a glimpse of what David is saying in Psalm 26? I mean, Psalm 23, verse 6, goodness and mercy, you see, aren't la lazily lagging along behind us. This is like a car chase in one of the Fast and Furious movies. We're being pursued. We're being chased. We're being run out after by the mercy and by the grace of God and by his 
goodness. He's wanting to give us what we don't deserve and by his mercy not give us what we do deserve. And they're following us. They are pursuing us. They were chasing us all the days of our life. I mean, how awesome is that? I read about a guy by the name of Arthur Colsey. He was telling about a scene he saw when he was over in Ireland. He said he was looking out on this whole hillside that was covered in sheep. And he said as he was watching, all of a sudden, one sheep got spooked and, and jumped the fence and just took off. The shepherd caught it out of the corner of his eye, and, and the shepherd took off, jumped the fence and took off running, and he called for his dog, and off they went to chase that sheep. And he said, I just watched. And he said, I watched as he ran after that sheep, and finally they went over hillside, and I never saw him after that until 45 minutes later. He said that shepherd came back carrying that sheep. And he gently lifted it over the fence and he put it back where it belonged. That's the picture we find in Psalm 23. That's the following, the chasing of our God, the running after for his sheep. And it's the same picture we find in the parable Jesus told in Luke 15. When he described God the Father as a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and one of those sheep gets away, he hops the fence, and off he goes. And that shepherd pursues that one lost sheep until he finds him. And when he finds him and he brings him back, celebration breaks out. Why? Because finding that which is lost is what fuels the heart of the Father. Because the shepherd wants to know that his sheep are in his pasture. And he will go after and find that one that is lost. To bring them back home. That's why Jesus would say in the Gospel of John, I am the good shepherd, and I will lay down my life for my sheep. As we reflect, and before we close, I want to unpack just one more thing. It's the very last part where it says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's something that we, we can't miss or forget. This psalm's impact on our life, both in the present as well as the future, is all dependent on what we read in the very first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. Everything from there reflects back to that one statement. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, everything past that point is what the Lord our shepherd is doing for his sheep in the present. And what is he doing? He's providing everything we need. He's refreshing our souls as we lie down in green pastures by cool waters. He leads us on the right path. And when we face those dark, dark valleys, he is with us. He's protecting, providing, and anointing us with everything we need in order to survive. He even gives us what we don't deserve, and he doesn't give us what we do deserve. That's how much the shepherd loves his sheep. That's how much our God loves each and every one of us in here today. And that's why he ends with this promise for the future that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. And this promise is also dependent on the shepherd being our Lord. So let's look at this future promise for just a moment. The scripture says that God has put eternity into our hearts. That's why I believe that within all of us, 
we know that there has to be more to this existence than what we just experience here on this planet. You and I, we have an ultimate destination. You and I, we have an eternity to live out. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, if nothing in this world satisfies me, perhaps it's because I was made for another world. You and I were made for another world. We weren't made for this planet. We were made for another world. And God is just in the process of getting it ready for us. Now, there are many things we don't know about heaven and what it will be like because it's beyond our ability to comprehend. But there is one thing that you can be sure of, and that is this. Heaven will be greater than anything you've ever hoped for, anything you've ever imagined. It'll be better. And the cool part is, like I mentioned a moment ago, God is already in the process. He's already busy preparing his house for you and me. He's preparing it for you. Gary, he's preparing a house for you, man. He's got a room just ready for you. You and Carol. You and who else? He may throw several people in there. I don't know. But he's preparing a room. Jim, he's preparing a room for you. He's preparing a room for me. Look at what the Bible says. There are many rooms in my father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I am going there to prepare a place for you. After I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Here's what I do not want you to miss. The most incredible part of being in heaven is not necessarily what we read and what we like to focus on in the book of Revelation where it talks about streets of gold and it talks about all the, 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 the precious jewels and emeralds and and. Everything that you can picture there. That's not the, the coolest part. That's not the great reward that we have of being in heaven. You know what the great reward of being in heaven is? It's this. It's living in the very presence of our God for an eternity. That's the great reward of heaven. It's being able to live in the very presence of our God for an eternity. In fact, throughout the Bible, this is what is so cool about the Bible. God compares his relationship with us to a relationship of a groom to his bride. That's how much he wants to be with us. That's how much he wants to be in, in our presence so that we can be in his. Isaiah 62, 5 says, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so, I, so will your God rejoice over you. In Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, God gives this promise to his people. I will make you my wife forever showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And get this, you will finally know me as Lord. You see, the great reward of heaven is being able to be with our groom, Jesus, and living with him for an eternity. But the only way that's going to happen is by going back to verse 1 and asking the question, is the Lord my shepherd? Is the Lord my shepherd? Have I taken him into my heart and into my life? Is he my Lord and Savior? I don't know where you're at, but I do know this has been an awesome, this has been an awesome experience to go through Psalm 23. And today as we end, we've got a promise for the future of an eternity spent with our God. Never miss that fact. 
Will you be there? Will you be excited about that? We're going to spend a moment in reflection. I, I don't know what's on your heart. We had a first-time guest actually come in first service who just needed prayer, and we just I had somebody go back and pray with her. I don't know, maybe that's you. Maybe you just need prayer today. Maybe you've never surrendered your heart to God. Maybe that's where you need to start. Maybe he needs to become your Lord today. Whatever is on your heart, this is your chance and this is your time. I just want you to come as Adam plays. I just want you to come. Just, just get up and come. And we want to pray with you today. Let's reflect.